What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture. Uh, and this week, we have a special guest uh, with us, uh, founder and CEO of the Jew3 Project. We've got Lisa Fields with us. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm good, Ebenezer. Thank you for having me. No, it, the, yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. I am really excited right now. You have no idea. Um, <laughs> I think I shared with you before we started recording, but yeah, uh, in 2020, when we were quarantined for those three, four months, um, I spent a majority of my time just watching the content that you guys put out and it's blessed me so much. And so thank you oh, for wow. everything that you're doing. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate uh, what you are uh, accomplishing and how you're building the kingdom. So thank you. That's encouraging to know. I'm glad it's helpful. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask is, um, yeah, just for those who may not know, for, for those who are tuning in and might not have um, yeah, any background on who you are? Uh, can you guys, can you give just a little bit about who you are? Yeah, so I'm uh, from Jacksonville, Florida, uh, PK, pastor's kid, uh, born and raised here, went to the University of North Florida um, with an attempt to be a stockbroker, because I always wanted to be a stockbroker since fifth grade, okay. um, but the Lord had other plans and uh, took a New Testament course um, and really challenged my faith. And that's how my dad introduced me to apologetics through that. And uh, just started learning more about apologetics that helped me navigate that crisis of faith that was happening in that class, because I had never questioned why I believe what I believe until I got to college. Mm -hmm. And so um, through that, I, I had a desire to uh, become an apologist and develop the organization um, that helped uh, Black Christians know what they believe and why, um, and helped them be equipped in apologetics and be able to engage Black skeptics as well. And so ended up graduating with my degree from UNF with, from, with Religious Studies and Communications. Um, then later on, when and got my MDF from Liberty University and started Jew3 Project the last year of, of seminary. So founder and president of the Jew3 Project, um, it's grown, uh, and, and by God's grace, so I'm happy to see continually what God does with it. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, jump into that a little bit. Like, so tell us more about Jew3 Project. Why did you want to start that? I know you mentioned you've kind of, yeah, you wanted to help Black uh, Christians and defending their faith and understanding their faith, but what does, yeah, Jew3 aim to do, and what was the heart behind starting that? Yeah, I, I, as I was looking at the landscape of all the apologists, they were white. Uh, uh, for the most part, Ravi was Indian, but most most uh, people were were white, and so I was like, "We, I don't see any black people leading this effort on a large scale." And I want to. I think black people need to see people that look like them doing it for it to pique their interests and for them to know, for, for our people to know that we could do that too. You know, um, when, when people saw Michelle and Barack mm -hmm. and, and as president first lady, it gave them a sense of this is attainable for me. And I think in the same way in other spheres of influence and culture, we need to see ourselves mm -hmm. in the forefront in order for us to be motivated or think it's even achievable for us. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to start the G3 project. So we would have, we could see ourselves doing it and not only that, see that we've contributed in large part to Christian thought. And so that's the reason why the G3 project was birthed. And we seek to do that in a number of ways. We have a HBCU tour. We have um, 
our conferences. Uh, we had a virtual conference this year through Eyes of Color. Uh, we have our curriculum, we have our online courses, um, and we have uh, many, many online series. And all of this is an attempt to equip and strengthen the a Black Christian and also to engage Black skeptics. Yeah, no, that's so, that's so powerful. Yeah, in light of that, like the, the different series that you guys have been doing, you recently uh, put out a series on, uh, yeah, why people are leaving the church. And you had a bunch of people that were a part of a church at one point who left and mm -hmm. you engaged with them. And I, and I love what you said there about, um, yeah, we need to be better at listening. And mm -hmm. we got to understand where they're coming from and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, uh, just a quick question there. Uh, why do you think people are questioning their faith right now uh, in light of the conversations that you've had and just the different, uh, yeah, just as you engage with people that are walking away, what, what do you think is contributing to all of that? So I think it's a, a number of things. Obviously, the racial injustice is a big component and in, in people leaving the church. Um, I think that also is, depends on where your faith roots lie as well. So if you were mostly in a white evangelical black multi-ethnic church, you're mostly, I feel like that group is mostly questioning faith yeah. because of racial tensions. Yeah. But if you grew up in a black church, I think there's another aspect of which why you're leaving the faith. Maybe you feel like your parents spent all their time at church and mm -hmm. you didn't see a personal benefit to them. Mm -hmm. um, so we're very pragmatic in this generation. If, it's, if it doesn't bring any practical um, helpfulness that we feel, then, the, then we internalize it and say, then what is the point of me spending my time here? Yeah. If, if my time is divided amongst all these different things, mm -hmm. um, associations, you know, back in the day, people used to go to black churches for community and society. Well, if you're already joined other groups that are doing work in the community, you start to say, why mm. the church? What makes that distinct? Yeah. Um, and so I believe that there are different reasons people are leaving the faith, whether it's them looking for power, prominence, peace, pleasure, uh, prosperity, different things. And they're trying to find ways in which to gain those things outside of the four walls of the church. Yeah, that's so good. In light of that, how do you think the church should respond to that? Because I think this is a serious concern. And mm -hmm. um, I know from, so I'm Ethiopian and mm -hmm. growing up in the Ethiopian church, as soon as we hit college, we saw, we saw a lot of people start walking away from the church. And a lot of the times we just, you know, it's just the culture. There's, we got nothing for young people and um, just in an effort to uh, win people over and, you know, engage with those that just have questions uh, with the church. Uh, we, we ran across a lot of problems and we, yeah, just a lot of things came to the forefront, which I didn't even know were there. Mm -hmm. um, one of that being, why aren't we addressing justice? Like that was actually like, we're Ethiopian, but we, yeah, for whatever reason, uh, have not engaged in that conversation well, and we've lost people because of that. But uh, in light of everything that's going on, uh, how should the church respond to this? Like, what do you think is the appropriate response from the church? So one, I think, you know, my thing is being better listeners. Mm. Um, and, and like you mentioned, I feel like the greatest tool, apologetic tool is to listen because oftentimes we're trying to solve problems that people haven't even asked. Mm. Um, and so you have to listen in order to help people get to the root of their problems. I, I don't know how much of the series you watched, 
But each week you see people pull off a layer of themselves more and more to get to the depths of their thoughts. Now, if I had a if I had a maybe addressed their question in the first episode, I wouldn't have got to the root of their issue. And oftentimes we stop at the fruit and we never get to the root. And so when I if I'm solving the fruit, if I pick a piece of fruit, what happens? Another piece of fruit will appear. The only way to get rid of the tree is to dig up the root. Mm. And oftentimes we don't listen long enough to figure out what the root is so we can dig it up. Yeah. We're just pulling off questions and answering. And it's like another one will appear because you don't know what is really happening underneath um, at the root. So I think we have to listen and then take those um, to 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 resolve resolve the questions they have. But before we even get to that, I think we have to lament the parts in which we played in making the church an unhealthy space. So if someone says, you know, I've come and I've tried to ask questions and my questions have been ignored, then we have to lament the fact that we haven't been open to questions sometimes because we don't know the answer and sometimes because we're scared to question ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we have to lament that. And then we could try to implement ways in which we can make the environment better for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think this there's a misconception amongst people that have been in the church all their lives that see people leaving. They're just leaving because they want to sin. Sometimes that's the case. Yeah. Um, they're leaving because they, they want to be rebellious or they want to do something that the Bible doesn't condone, sometimes that is absolutely the case. But also there are times when the environment is unhealthy and we need to be able to listen Mm -hmm. and to examine ourselves to see if we're creating an unhealthy environment that people don't want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are some some practical things that we could do. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to take a lot of humility on the church's part to not just listen, but lament and really... uh, yeah, do what we need to do to, to win people over. Um, you know, yeah, there's a word right now that we have a buzzword right now. And that, that word is uh, deconstruct. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are saying, yo, I'm just deconstructing my faith right now. I'm going back to the basics, trying to figure out uh, what's for me, what's not for me. Um, and in light of that, what, what, what encourages you about that? And what discourages you about uh, people, uh, a lot more people wanting to deconstruct and reconstruct their faith. Mm-hmm. So I'm encouraged anytime anybody wants to investigate why they believe what they believe, because I think you can only you strengthen your your beliefs when it's put to the test. Yeah. Truth can always be tested. Yeah. Um, the only time truth cannot be the only time you should be uh, sad uh, to test truth is when you know it's not really true, mm. uh, because uh, a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. Right. Mm-hmm. So you should always be willing to put what you believe under inspection to see, am I getting this right? Uh, considering new evidence that comes, comes about around. A- am I understanding this properly? Because you want to be a person that preaches and teaches and believes truth. So I think that's, that's encouraging to know that we're putting our faith under investigation. I don't think the church is a place where we need to check our brains at the door. We need to bring our full selves in the worship experience and say, okay, this, this, is this congruent with, with, with the, uh, with the facts or is this, does this, does this make sense? Um, 
And so I'm excited about that. What I am um, disheartened by is that I don't know if people know really sometimes what it means to deconstruct, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. To them, deconstructing is tossing out everything that they once believed. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a overcorrection which I think is one of the challenges of the day, the overcorrection. So I like to think of it in this illustration. If you're, if you're, if you saw your parents drive off a cliff, right? Going, they made a left and they drove off a cliff. You say, that's not the direction I need to go at all. So you go in the opposite direction without knowing that they only drove off the cliff because they missed that turn right before the cliff. So if you go in the opposite direction, you still don't get to the destination. And so I think that's really what overcorrection does. It doesn't analyze and say what part of the direction that they were going that they missed the turn. Yeah. It just goes completely in the opposite direction without investigating that. And I think when you deconstruct, Mm. you don't overcorrect. You Mm. examine the missteps of the direction they were going and see what you need to change. It doesn't just overzealously go completely opposite. Mm, that's so good. Why, why do you think we're doing that? Why do you think we're, there's an overcorrection? And instead of uh, examining where we missed the, the exit or where we missed the step, we're just going in a complete uh, different direction. Is it lack of discipleship? Is it, uh, yeah, like what, what do you think contributes to people wanting to go a thousand miles towards the other way? <laughs> Uh, I think when we don't process our emotions, um, we swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. Mm. And so Mm. there's a lot of trauma associated with our experiences. And when you're traumatized, your vision and your processing is slightly skewed. Mm. Mm. And so if you don't deal with your, the trauma and the emotions you're experiencing, you'll still miss where you're trying to go yeah and so I think that's one I also think that that trauma brings if it's unprocessed and you don't forgive those who have hurt you in the process the root of bitterness Mm. gets in your heart Mm. and when bitterness rules your heart truth becomes distorted in your mind Mm. and so I think that you know those things hinder us from getting to our destination and those things hinder us from correcting and lead us into overcorrection. Wow. That's so profound. Yeah. I'm going to have to chew on that. Um, Do you, do you think deconstructing our faith should be done in silos or do you think this should be a community effort? Yeah. uh, It should be a community effort. Uh, One of my mentors says theology should always be done in community. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because then we're able to, you know, everything sounds like an amazing idea when you're by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you get around community and people that you have trusted to, to correct you and speak into your life that they can say, no, that's a bad idea because this is the blind spot. Because we always, we all have blind spots and we can't see yeah. them um, unless other people are present. And so even in our theology, as we're 
reconstructing our theology, we need to do it in community because we're reconstructing with the blind spots we have. And so we need other people to speak into our lives to help us see the blind spots in it, even in our reconstruction. Mm, that's so good. I love it. Well, I, yeah, you know, deconstructing is good as long as you're reconstructing. Yes. But there, there's a lot who stop at the deconstructing. Well, what are the dangers with that? Why is that uh, unwise and unhelpful to our faith? Yeah, I love that question because I always, I think of it like this. If I go through a city and I say, everything is wrong with this city, tear everything down, right? Mm. What am I left with? Rubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is, it's chaotic. Uh, there's no uh, institutions because we torn them all down. <laughs> yeah. But we have, we only put the energy into tearing it down. We haven't put the energy into building it up. Mm. And mm. when you think critically about like planning and deconstructing and reconstructing you deconstruct in a wise way if you're going through using that silly city illustration where you know things need to be torn down mm -hmm. you tear down one thing at a time or you realize that this building maybe not doesn't need to be torn down completely it just needs to be renovated yeah. um Good. and you do things mm -hmm. in a calculated and strategic order yeah. Um, that, that goes back to letting emotion lead. When you let emotion lead, you destroy everything mm -hmm. without thinking critically about how are people going to live in this city if I've torn everything down. I've created a bigger problem than the problem that existed. And yeah. so I think mm -hmm. that's what we need to think through when we're thinking about deconstructing and reconstructing. Do I have the energy, the resolve, and the effort to reconstruct because oftentimes mm. we don't have the plans to reconstruct and we create worse environments mm. and we don't understand the challenges in the building institutions. Yeah. Um, so. That's so good. That's so good. So I love how you said, sometimes you don't need to deconstruct. You just need to renovate. Uh, that, <laughs> I felt that in my spirit. Uh, that's, yeah, I love that. Um, how do you think the church has played a role in people wanting to deconstruct their faith? Uh, you know, I love the church. I think the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we are imperfect. And, you know, we bring baggage into the, the church. And so, um, yeah, as you're just having those conversations and, you know, just dealing with all of the things that we're dealing with in our culture. Um, what, what have you seen um, when it comes to the church playing its part in people wanting to deconstruct their faith? Yeah, I think one of the things is we have to give people the space to question. Mm. We have to give people the space to question. And I think giving them the space to question helps cultivate a stronger relationship. And so that goes hand in hand with listening, like listening and giving them the space to question, why are things done like this? Why are we doing that? Um, this is not a generation where people are just going along to get along. Like they just, you know, if the pastor says it, that settles it. Yeah. They've been to college. They're more educated um, than the previous generation. And so they're bringing in what they learned from college into church spaces and say, okay, I can't connect the dots here. Yeah. Um, I'm not coming to church to just get a high or an emotional uh, celebration or to be in, 
be encouraged. I, I'm good with the encouragement. I'm good that God will provide. God will do it. I'm good with that. But I also want something that will engage my mind. I also want to know why we even believe this book to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's one of the things that we need to think about. Like, are we open and how involved are we in our in injustice work? Mm. Um, what does that look like? Um, and I, I think I, I want to challenge our generation with this. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a brunch junkie, right? Love brunch. I love a good brunch. Yeah. And me and my friend were sitting down at brunch one day and he was talking about, you know, the systemic injustices in the world and, you know, waxing eloquently. And then we went outside and there was a homeless man. Mm. Um, and they asked for a dollar and I didn't have cash because I just never carried cash. I was like, do you got cash? He was like, oh, I don't give to homeless people. And so <laughs> I think that's so <laughs> such where our generation is. Wow. We like to talk a big game, wow. but practically we don't do the work. Wow. And so we want the church to be everything mm. that we don't do ourselves when the church is made up of people. Yeah. Um, and so if you want the church to be justice oriented, we have to ask ourselves, are we justice oriented? Yeah. Oftentimes we want to push the assignment on others. Yeah. And then we have fill the church with people who always are pushing the assignment on others. Mm. And then the pastor say, I'm down with the justice work, but where are the workers to do the justice work? Yeah. And so I think that we need to have an examination within ourselves. What justice work are we doing personally? Or are we just critiquing the church? for not doing what they need us to do in the first place. That's so powerful. Listen, I am a young church planter and we got a young church and that resonates with me a thousand percent. There's <laughs> a lot of, why aren't we doing this? And why can't we do that? And it's like, all right, let's do it. Who's want, who wants to come with? And nobody shows up. And it's like, I thought y'all were about this. Yeah, I feel that. Can you speak to that? What, what, what's the danger of critiquing something uh, without being part of the solution? And something I, I often share with our team here at, at our church is, um, yeah, critique is welcome as long as you're part of the solution. And so what's the danger of always wanting something to be done, but not necessarily being a part of the solution in that? Um, I think the danger is that you create an unhealthy expectation for, for, for the environment you are in. Yeah. And you, you create... Um, a hindrance for things going forward yeah. I think that's that's the danger of it and I think you know oftentimes we are critical of things because really we're we're projecting our criticism of ourselves on the institutions wow wow yeah. and so I think you shouldn't be willing to to uh, critique anything that you're not willing to do yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love this because Jesus does this. He doesn't command us to give our lives to him without giving his life for us first. Wow. And we're just not good at demonstrating what we're demanding. And until you are a demonstrator of your demands, mm -hmm. then you become unhelpful to the kingdom Wow. because you just become a critic yeah. without being a contributor. And so I think that's what we need to think through in, in this process. And when you are a contributor, yeah. you are more gracious with your critiques because you understand the work that it takes to get it done. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Yeah, because it's, it's when you actually roll up your sleeve and get your hands dirty that you realize 
change is slow. It's going to take a lot more work. Uh, we got to go back to the drawing board sometimes. And yeah, that's so profound. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for I sharing. can always identify those who probably don't contribute much by how much criticism they give. Wow. Wow. Because the grace comes in through doing the work. Wow. Yeah. So good. So good. Um, man, I, yeah, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed already. Yeah. So I, <laughs> in, in thinking about, um, yeah, the church's involvement and I, there's two things that you pointed out. One, you know, let's not leave our brain, um, yeah, at the door, you know, engage with, and, and you're right. Like I, you know, I came up in a very charismatic church and a lot of it was uh, really heavy on experiencing God and feeling God, but not really engaging with God uh, intellectually. And I've just seen how, and there's nothing wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with experiencing God. I just don't think that's the end all be all. And mm -hmm. so I think we need balance, you know? And, um, you know, sometimes I wonder, man, like where would I be or where, where would this generation be if we engage intellectually with the things of God. And I know that that depending on the circles that you're running in, that could even be frowned upon, that's laughed, laughed at or what have you. And so um, I, I, wanted, I wanted you to speak on that a little bit more, but how do we get to a place where we acknowledge that? I mean, when you think about Jesus' command, he's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and strength, right? So, but, you know, he includes the mind in that, you know, it's not just the heart and it's not just your strength and it's just not your will, but with, with your mind as well. And so I, I just wanted just a little to, for you to speak a little bit to why it's important for us to engage intellectually with the things of God and how that feeds our faith. Yeah. So the Bible says, love God with your, with your mind. Yeah. Uh, JP Moreland has a wonderful book, loving God with your mind. I, I recommend that. Um, but God created us mind, soul, and spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And body. And every part of us is called to worship him. Yeah. And our mind is a part of that. And we bring that engagement um, to the worship experience. Yeah. Um, we ought to be able to earnestly contend for the faith. We ought to be able to, like Peter says, give a reason um, that word reason is where we, I mean, give a reason or defense for our faith. That word comes from the Greek word apologia, which we get apologetics. And so um, that is, is all encompassing. And I'm glad you brought the balance to it because we do have a generation that's leaving, leaving church that's just reason oriented and going to African spirituality because they're seeking an experience. Uh, yeah. So you need the, the information, but you also need the experience. And yeah. so you need, have to wet those two together because people are seeking supernatural experiences. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes because we're so reason oriented in the West that we don't allow God um, to do what he really wants to do. Yeah. Um supernaturally in our lives yeah love it that's so good um last question here i i feel like we can keep you here all day long um <laughs> but we won't do that to you um <laughs> uh how can how do you think the church could do a better job um of reaching the d church not just the unchurched but the d churched mm -hmm. so i think it all boils down to to what we we've been talking about the listening, um, giving space for the questions 
being prepared to answer those questions yeah. and also being innovative in our approach to mm. ministry. Mm. Um, I think innovation is something that the church needs. Yeah. Um, and I think we think, well, if, if Christ be lifted up, you know, God will draw all men to, to him. Uh, but doesn't mean we can't lift him up in various ways, mm. yeah. um, in various modes and, and mediums that the message doesn't shift, but the method does. Yeah. Paul doesn't use the same uh, method every time he preaches. Um, Jesus doesn't do the same method every time he heals. Mm. Different modes, but the message is still the same. And so I think that we have to be innovative in our approach to ministry. We have to be innovative in our engagement um, and see like where the social trends are going. And, and you know, I'm a big fan of Gary Vee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, he has a lot of profanity and stuff, but he said some really good, good things. And it's really helped to think and shape um, how I do ministry and what innovation looks like. They never hear you. What good is the message um, that you're preaching? And so I think we need to at least think about where where innovation is going, where AI is going and see how can, the church can can embrace some of those mm -hmm. to help us be more effective where we're still saying that Jesus is the only way we're still being that city on the hill we're still saying the bible is the word of god but we're just doing it in more innovative ways yeah i love it it's so good i mean if 2020 taught us anything we got to be innovative we're, <laughs> we're <laughs> yeah if we try to do church the way church has been done we'd have got left behind and so yeah. i love that what would be your encouragement? Your last, this is the last thing here. What would be your encouragement to someone that's tuning in right now and is just struggling with their faith? Maybe, you know, they're dealing with church hurt or maybe, you know, they've been part of a community that doesn't value Black lives or justice or uh, maybe they just haven't seen the church engage uh, the word of God with their mind or the heart of God with their mind. Um, and they're, they're thinking about maybe walking away altogether or maybe yeah, just questioning if Jesus is only the, the true way. Um, what, what would be your encouragement to that person right now? My first thing would be grieve. Grieve those experiences. Allow yourself to grieve and process that trauma, that pain that you've experienced. Um, if that means that you need to go talk to a therapist or just talk to someone that trusted that can help navigate you through that, do that. Uh, I think that's important. Um, do that prayerfully through prayer, incorporate prayer in that, and then start to assess what you believed. Um, but do it with a community of people yeah. and see where, uh, where the beliefs that you believe are inconsistent with the word of God. Yeah. And then really try to just root yourself in scripture mm. and un properly understanding scripture. And then you can delineate between truth and lies. Yeah. Yeah. And then move, move from that. And then, you know, incorporate questioning, incorporate apologetics and all of those things. But I think it's helpful before we you even become pick up an apologetic book that you be rooted in the text. Mm. That you be rooted mm. in scripture. Yeah. That you know what the Bible says and how to interpret it. Yeah. Um, I think that's first and foremost before you get off into all of these other theological disciplines. Yeah, it's so good. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for just lending us your, your wisdom and yeah, just sharing from your experiences and from, yeah, the things that the Lord has taught you. 
Um, if, if people want to, you know, know more about the Jew three project or get more involved with the things that you're doing, how could they reach you or how, how could they, uh, come across your page? Like, do you have a website? Like what's, how could they get uh, yeah. in contact? Jew3project.org, Jude, the number three project.org. All our social medias are at Jew3, YouTube, all of that, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, at Jew3project. Uh, you could go to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google, wherever podcasts are streamed. Um, and yeah, all of that. You could get our curriculum. Uh, we have a free ebook out by uh, Dr. Vince Bantu, The Biz Rock Apologetics in African Terms. We have Through Eyes of Color in uh, in the ebook version or the, or the, uh, heart, uh, printed book. And, um, yeah, all of that. We have our online courses at learn.g3project.org and you can help, uh, and you can become a monthly partner at g3project.org backslash donate. So those are all the things. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to more content from y'all again, y'all are just, you guys have served as a huge blessing to me personally. Uh, really humble that you'd come on and just yeah spend some time with us on shaping the culture uh yeah for the listeners i hope this blessed you this encouraged you uh man we're walking with you we're rooting for you um yeah we love y'all the lord loves you uh thank you uh have a good day until next time family uh peace and grace thank you ebenezer